What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Didn't have a cat here a minute ago. Got one here now. Probably won't stay, but uh, we'll see what happens. There's another one in the background doing his little bath time thing. Actually, they're both doing bath time things, but anyway, let's do some tech support. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. More than meets the eye. At the crappy game room store I used to work at, one of the pinball machines out on the floor hadn't been turned on since before I started there. Before I tried to turn it on, however, I figured it was turned off for a reason and decided I'd open it up and inspect it. Pinball machines don't just have one box that's the power supply like computers do. That's handled by a bare transformer sitting in the bottom of the cabinet, whose outputs usually go up a cable to a power board that has the fuses along with the rest of the power supply, and that board also controls the solenoids. I opened up the back box and found that, of course, all the fuses were wrapped in tin foil. Oh my gosh. Yikes. Not to mention there was a ton of chewing gum and duct tape style of wiring repairs if you know what I mean. Double yikes. I took pictures. Well let's see. First order of business is to actually put the proper fuses in. Thankfully the fuse holders are marked on the board itself with the correct value. Unfortunately it takes me almost the whole workday to find anything in this place. Some of them came from half gutted scrap machines in the back room. I put all the hard earned fuses in their rightful place. There's one more, the main fuse, before the transformer that's blown. At least it's not wrapped in tinfoil, but it was a much higher value than was supposed to be in there. If memory serves, it was a 10 amp fuse where a 3 amp was the expected value. I figured I'd order some circuit breakers for my own toolkit of 3, 5, and 7 amps so that I could test games that blew fuses without wasting any, and yet still having overcurrent protection so there was no fire risk, unlike jumping the darn fuse. Of course, the circuit breakers were too expensive to fit them into every single game in the store, likely the reason they included regular fuses from the factory, so I figured I'd buy them for myself and keep them for my personal use as well as for this job, like home electronics projects or another job for that matter. I didn't plan on sticking around for long as this place was a disaster. Armed with a circuit breaker to use as a temporary fuse, I opted to find where the short was, by disconnecting all the outputs from the power board and then turning the machine on and seeing if the breaker blues. If it did, I'd know the short was on the power board, and if it didn't, I'd turn it off and repeat the process with one additional cable hooked up to the power board until I found which branch had a short. I turned on just the transformer and power board. Loud hum, and then my circuit breaker clicked off. Okay, so it's probably the power board. Pinball and arcade transformers rarely go bad unless you bypass the fuses. These boards aren't cheap, nor easy to find, so unless the traces are totally melted beyond recognition, it's usually worth repairing them. I go over the power board with my multimeter and find a bridge rectifier shorted. Okay, so I replaced it. Then there was a swollen capacitor. It didn't actually read shorted, but it definitely looked bad, so I replaced that as well. That's not so bad, especially with the fuses having been jumped. However, I still had to test it to see if any outputs were missing, and most importantly, that none were over the rated voltage, as the latter can obviously damage other very expensive parts. I reconnect the power board to the transformer, and with my circuit breaker in line, I turn it back on. Loud hum, and my circuit breaker clicked off. Hmm, that's not good. Well, I did say that pinball transformers rarely go bad, but when idiots try to fix the machine in question by jumping the fuses, that becomes much more likely. 
so I disconnected the transformer from everything but the main line input and apply power. With no load whatsoever, the transformer hummed loudly and my circuit breaker clicked off. So the transformer was obviously fried. Arcade transformers are relatively expensive, and some are harder to find as well. The kicker? The boss initially got mad at me because no one else is going through that many fuses. You're the first one to ever run out of them, and now you're out of fuses again? I showed him the pictures of the fuses with tinfoil wrapped around them. I also said that he should check some of the other machines I hadn't touched but the other techs had fixed already. I also said that he should check some of the other machines that I hadn't touched but the other techs had fixed already. He had nothing to say to that, but he did order more fuses. Then the boss said that the transformer was blowing my circuit breaker because it was unloaded, and there was feedback as a result. I asked him to demonstrate that on another machine, but he wasn't willing to do so for fear of burning out another transformer. Because I didn't want to argue with my own boss for obvious reasons, I just let him be wrong instead. In short, that's not how transformers work. They only draw as much wattage through the primary as you're asking for from the secondary. About two weeks later, I was dismissed with the boss citing one of the reasons as not getting along with my co-workers. Yeah, the same guys who bypassed fuses, plugged in machines that I specifically labeled as fire or shock hazards, and even better, when they were wiring up a new machine from scratch using one of those multi-arcade boards you can buy online, they initially wanted to ship it off to a customer without testing it first. Not surprisingly, the store ended up going out of business about a month after they cut me loose. If anything, I'm more surprised that the store didn't burn down, nor get sued for a customer's game causing a fire or electrocuting someone. I've done some sketchy stuff in my day. Now I'm sounding really old, but anyway, one of the first houses I remember living in when I was younger was a uh, very old, well over a hundred year old house that had the old screw-in type fuses. They're, they're glass. They look almost like a light bulb base. Anyway, when one of those would blow, in a pinch, we would put a penny in there in the little round socket and then screw the fuse back in and get things going just enough to get us through in an emergency before we could get more fuses. Usually we had extra fuses sitting right on the ledge of the basement wall right near the circuit panel, but sometimes you run out. I've also done some sketchy shit with jumper wires on fuse boxes. I've never done tinfoil, but uh, that's always because I had lengths of wire sitting around. But I will say that I would never do that to a customer's piece of equipment. There's no there's no reason to piss them off or put them in danger or anything like that. If I'm doing something with my own stuff, that's one thing. But yeah, I'm not going to inflict that on other people. So here. It won't fit. I'll make it fit. So one of my friends was complaining a bit that she's running low on storage space on her laptop. It's an HP Omen 17. And she had a 1TB hard drive and a 1TB SSD. I found her a 5TB Seagate Barracuda for 120 bucks. She ordered it and we waited till it arrived. Now some of you might know where this is going. A standard 2.5 inch hard drive is 9mm tall, but the 5TB one is 15mm. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't think of that at the time and was in for a bit of shock when I opened the packing for it. I opened her laptop, opened the new hard drive packing, and guess what? The mounting bracket didn't fit. It was a rubber bracket with mounts that go in the screw holes, and then you slide it in with the hard drive at an angle of about 45 degrees, then push it down. The SATA and SATA power connector was on a ribbon cable. The laptop chassis had enough room for the 15mm 5TB hard drive, but no way of mounting it. So what do I do? Grab a spare Ethernet cable and cut off its insulation. Connect the hard drive to the laptop, put it inside, and stuff the insulation around it. It was a perfect fit. I even turned the dang thing around and banged on it from the top with my hand to see if it would fall out. It didn't even budge. Took a bit of cable insulation and put it on top of the hard drive so the bottom cover of the laptop would be squishing it on a bit if that 
so it would be squishing it on a bit and that was that. DIY jank hard drive mount status achieved. She was happy, I was relieved, the hard drive's working still to this day without problems. And I had another funny tale to tell. I've had that issue before, but I don't think I understood why I had the issue at the time until I just read this story. I like tripled the size of one of our two and a half inch hard drives in one of my wife's old laptops. And that little rubber, it's not a sleeve, I guess. It's sort of like when you put a phone cover on how it has the rubber piece all the way around the outside and then it has the mounting tabs and you know the deal. Anyway, and the same thing happened. I, I couldn't get it mounted. So I got it in there, got it all plugged in. And then I found, uh, I had foam, single-sided sticky foam that I would use for other things. And, uh, I just put a piece of that on the top so that it would hit against the bottom of the case. And then around the two edges, down the two long sides, I cut that rubber mounting bracket so that I could make shims to go in alongside so it wouldn't jar back and forth. And uh, it works. Sometimes jank is the way to go. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Spin the fans around. Another tale from the pig farmer. Wait, what? Back in the days of me attending the Faculty of Computer Science, I didn't finish it because of the lack of background of coding and I dropped out after the first year, me and two of my buddies made a group chat before I left so we could talk from time to time. I built at least a dozen computers in my years and my preferred method of cooling was always air-cooled for CPUs and to at least have one more case fan blowing air in. So if I have nine fans on my current case, I have five fans blowing air in and four blowing air out. This creates a positive air pressure inside the case and doesn't suck in dust through every hole in the case that isn't filtered. My buddy, who finished the faculty with high remarks, did it the other way around. I didn't know that. A year ago he asked in the group chat about a CPU cooler. I advised him go Noctua. I had the same one, 65 degrees Celsius on high load applications max. We also had the same processor, AMD Ryzen 9 5900X. Fast forward a year and he's complaining in the group chat about his CPU overheating and that he's planning on buying an all-in-one water cooling solution. I was thinking to myself, well this is odd. We have the same cooler and CPU. How could this be overheating and mine doesn't? I told him to describe how he had his fans configured. Two fans pulling air in and four pushing air out. He sent a pic of the PC case and it was a dusty mess. I explained to him that the CPU and GPU aren't getting enough cool, fresh air from the two case fans. That he should remove the fans, turn them around, and remount them. I also stressed that the top fans blow hot air out because heat moves upwards. Buying an AIO won't help one bit if he won't get cool air. Fast forward another week and his CPU is enjoying a cool 60 to 70 degrees Celsius max temperature. Sometimes I wonder why I didn't go to the IT route. Other times when I listen to podcasts and read this Reddit, I'm glad I didn't. I'm the no time for BS kind of type, so I'd probably be yelling and screaming through offices because my tolerance for ID10 T-types is very low. So my case is a little weird. I have venting on the bottom, but then there's a, uh, well, here. So my case is a little different. I've got venting on the bottom. I've got this solid glass side. There's some fins on the metal panel on the other side, but eh. Anyway, I have these two fans drawing air in from the right side. Then I had this fan here on the CPU cooler, which is a, I have a big, you know, block cooler on there. And the fan blows towards the back. And then one fan on the back near the top corner blowing out. 
And then there's the two GPU fans that are pushing air up through the GPU. So, and I've got positive pressure, which is weird because I guess because there's two fans in, one fan out, the other ones are basically just blowing through the case. I guess it helps gives me positive pressure, but I've never had a temperature problem on this at all. Now, I'm not a gamer, but I did have somebody play a couple of games on it just to test it out and see how the CPU would handle it. And I also have one passive vent back here on the top corner that just allows air to naturally, con you know, natural convection. Stuff. Words are hard. By the way, speaking of group chats and things like that, does anybody remember Trillion? Trillion was this great app. If you had AIM, Yahoo, if you had a bunch of friends who were on different chat formats, um, Trillion was sort of one of those things that would bring them all together. And uh, it would I could even text to people from my chat window and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I kind of miss those days. I wonder if Trillion's still out there. That used to be one that my friend and I and uh, would use all the time, you know, if I was at work and things like that. But, eh, those were the days. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Heart attack because of duplicate host names. Obligatory long-time lurker, first-time poster. So this just happened 30 minutes ago. I work for a software vendor as an applications programmer, software architect, and sysadmin. Basically, I'm engineering. The vendor in question deals with project management and accounting. The software solution that we sell offers the client the option of self-hosting on-premises. And one of our clients, our largest client, has decided to self-host, and have done so the last 10 years or so. The machine's been in the server rack from before anyone in IT at the client can remember. About two years ago, we recommended they acquire new hardware for a new release of the software, from one major version to the next. So major, in fact, that the underlying virtual machine hosting went from QEMU, Kimu, <laughs> virtual machines to LXD containers. So basically a ground-up overhaul of the infrastructure. This was during the time of my predecessor, who, in his enlightened wisdom of 25-plus years working in the role, decided to name the new host the same as the old host, <laughs> which didn't cause any problems due to how the networking was set up. Due to reasons, a department of the client had stuck to previous versions while the rest of the company moved on to the new version, so we maintained the old version for them. No new updates, just keeping the thing chugging along. About a week ago, the old host started to have a drive failure in its RAID, RAID 1 with two disks. So the decision was made to migrate the remaining department's data to the new host and have them work on the new version going forward. The hardware gods had spoken. There was nothing they could do. The migration worked flawlessly, and a plan to clean up the old host was put in place. Fast forward to 30 minutes ago. Now I previously worked at a cybersecurity software vendor as a software engineer. And when you spend every day working with cybersecurity analysts and penetration testers, you learn a thing or two. So I spent the day talking with them since we still keep in touch and joking about how I should go ahead and wipe the old host and nuke its contents so they're unrecoverable. We settled on the idea that shred would be ideal. So after the final backups had ran for the old host, the command shred vfzn7 blah 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 was entered into the remote SSH session that I had up. And I didn't think twice. It had all been planned and everything. I had been given the go-ahead. No sooner than five minutes later, I noticed the prompt. The host name was exactly the same as the host name of the new host. 
I, however, did not know this until I tried to log in through another shell to the old host and to the new host. The old host had already lost the SSH authorized keys file and the new host logged in fine, so my worry was put aside. That said, I still had to test it several times to make sure and confirm it in my head. But for all the five minutes, I had the sinking feeling that I just nuked the new host and all the financial data of the client with it. Luckily, we had backups if anything did go wrong, but that was one of the most terrifying moments of my career to date. Lesson to be learned? No matter how smart you are, don't name two remote machines with the same host name for the same client. It could lead to some very octane-filled, heart-racing moments. I actually did this once, and I'm not sure, it wasn't exactly the same. I mean, like, I wasn't working with servers and stuff. I was working with swapping out hard drives. Again. Anyway, and when I brought over backups, there were backups that were duplicates, but the names were identical. The only difference was the drive letter they were on. And when I thought I was wiping out the old one, the old hard drive, and it wasn't a bad hard drive, it was just too small. Yeah, I ended up wiping out the file on the new hard drive, and the good news is it was recoverable, but, uh, yep, just gotta think your way through things, I guess. Hey guys, YouTube thinks you're gonna like this video here on the screen. Do me a favor, really helps the channel if you click that video. See ya.